Welcome to Season 3 of Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina, a podcast series dedicated to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a variety of media and focused on the writing program at St. Louis University. On this podcast, we interview instructors on how and why they use multimodal approaches, and we have instructors interview other instructors about the nuts and bolts of particular tools and assignments. On today's episode, looking to learn more about the Vatican Film Library, Carol Hogan Downey sits down with Amy Nelson to talk about her role working with the Metascripta Project, Biblioclasms, and Very Large, Very Old Books, Bridging Media Technologies of the 21st, 20th, and much, much earlier centuries, Amy shows how an often overlooked library resource can be valuable to multiple disciplines. Hi, I'm Carol Hogan Downey, and I'm here with Amy. Hi, Carol. And um, we're here to talk about the VFL. So I guess starting with that, you work there, so would you tell us a little bit about what it is? Uh, Yeah, so the Vatican Film Library, it's part of the Special Collections Department in Pius Memorial Library here at SLU. Um, It is housed on the first floor. I believe our room number is 110 or something odd like that, but it's essentially behind all the fun new stuff. So all of our fun old stuff is just behind the new academic technology commons. Um, with sign, there's signage to point you there. But um, basically, it's a just one room. It's one room in the library um, that houses about forty thousand microfilmed manuscripts. Um, in addition to um, a really extensive reference collection, we've got a nice number of facsimiles um, of various manuscripts, and we also have a couple of original, like medieval Rena- Renaissance. There it is, manuscripts. So, yeah, I mean, there's different things I can talk about. So how about you tell me what you'd like to know the most? Okay. (laughs) So I guess, like, right off the bat, my mind immediately went to um, earlier when we were talking, and you mentioned that there's this really interesting origin story for the VFL, and I was curious about if you would tell us about that. Right. So basically, uh, I mean, it was established in 1953. So it's sort of a post-war endeavor. And the reason that we've got so many micro, micro, microfilmed manuscripts from the Vatican Library, hence the Vatican Film Library, our name, is because we had two uh, sort of slew-affiliated scholars, one of whom was among the uh, monuments men in World War II. So mm-hmm. if no one knows what that is, they should go Google them. There's also a pretty block, big blockbuster movie about them, starring, I think, Matt Damon. Anyway, they go over to the actual Vatican Library in the Vatican City, and they take micro photographs of, yeah, again, about 37,000, I believe, manuscripts, um, sort of just as a conservation effort. So we've got not nearly the entire catalog of the Vatican Library, but we've got a nice a nice section or a nice, I hate to say chunk, what's a better word? I think chunk is fine. Yeah, a nice chunk (laughs) of the um, manuscripts and sort of some original printed materials housed in the Vatican Library. So the Vatican Film Library was basically SLU's effort at helping preserve things of, some some things of pretty uh, astounding value um, after a period of, you know, immense destruction and loss as far as those types of materials are concerned. And you're part of that now. I'm sort of part of that now. I'm part of the sort of neo-conservation effort, I guess, if you can call it that, um, working on the Metascripta Project, which is a digital humanities initiative um, and also a metadata project um, that the VFL is 
sort of behind. And what we're doing is digitizing the manuscripts from the Vatican Library that we've got so that we will enable better study of those. What the ultimate goal is, is essentially this website, it's going to be a crowdsourcing website. So we're going to have all of the manuscripts that we've got on microfilm digitized. We're going to have, you know, our metadata that we've, that's what I'm doing. I'm basically cataloging these manuscripts, adding metadata, but they're going to be crowdsourcing um, website or a crowdsourcing website that anyone can go onto. Um, kind of like a Wikipedia, but hopefully with responsible people <laughs> <laughs> contributing. Um, because one of the problems with the Vatican Library itself is that their website, well, for one, they do not have everything digitized, and you also can't really search for anything unless you know exactly what you're looking for by shelf mark. So unless I know, for instance, that I want to look at the manuscript shelf marked Vatican Latin 3848 out of, you know, I don't know, 16,000 just in that one collection, then you can't really find that manuscript. So we're essentially doing the Vatican Library a favor. <laughs> with their support, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so you're welcome. So you're welcome, yeah. Yeah. And so you, I guess you're kind of talking about it just now when you, you were talking about metadata, but I didn't know if that was something that our listeners would be really familiar with. Could you kind of talk about metadata for a sec? Like so, what and this is coming from a person who only knows, you know, sort of the bare bones about what metadata is, but what I... What I do with metadata is add information that is searchable. So if you or when people go onto this website that we're in the process of creating, they will be able to search for manuscripts based on the century in which it was produced, um, the country or area um, of the world in which it was or where we think it was produced, as well as by sort of references. So we've got um, a large number of references that kind of account for a substantial portion of these manuscripts. Some are a little bit harder to reference in terms of finding a way to back up what we're doing. Um, but the metadata is the searchable stuff. So we'll have other, I forget what we're calling them, but we'll have other metadata, I guess. <laughs> um, but the big ones are what century this manuscript is from and then where it was from. So, I mean, when you're working with something like the Vatican Library's collections, you're going to get lots of Italian and French manuscripts, but that by no means, you know, covers it all. We've got German, English, uh, things from the Netherlands. I mean, they're kind of from all over the place. And I, I will say I'm working only with the Latin manuscripts. We've got um, Greek, Sanskrit, Hebrew. I mean, they're kind of anything you can imagine might be out there written. <laughs> we probably have a manuscript or a collection of manuscripts microfilmed out there for you to look at. It's very cool. When uh, Byron approached uh, me about talk about this, I wasn't really sure how this was going to relate, but I also recently learned, I didn't know, that a lot of our graduate students at SLU who could really benefit from the VFL didn't even know about it existing. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a shame that we sort of advertise, as it were, the VFL only to prospective students who are, you know, specializing in medieval and Renaissance studies because, I mean, right, it sort of is mostly geared toward people working in those areas, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of things that can be uh, kind of learned from the VFL's materials that have nothing to do with medieval studies or Renaissance studies. Now, especially at a point when medievalism is something that's sort of trendy, I think, um, in the humanities, it seems like a place that we would want all of our graduate students to know about, at least have heard of. So uh, I guess what I would say is it's probably one of the easy easiest most easily accessible, <laughs> no, most easily accessed, there it is, literal places on campus. You know, you just have to have your library, student ID card, whatever it is. And we're open nine to five, 
Monday through Friday. Not open on the weekends, but um, you can come in anytime. We have a lovely staff who just, you know, aside from kind of like loving visitors in this very quiet little corner of the library, um, are also extremely knowledgeable about everything we've got as far as our catalogs go. So if you come in and you are like studying, you know, American literature from the 19th century, we might not have as much that's sort of, you know, directly available to you as far as your studies, but uh, but the reference section itself is something that I think anyone would benefit from. It's got sort of book history, codicology, that sort of thing, paleography. Anyone doing European studies, you know, is going to have sort of a wealth of information there that sometimes astoundingly hard to find. These are books um, and reference materials specifically that often aren't in English, which doesn't mean that you can't use them. I've sort of taught myself five words of Italian now that are useful for me. Um, but, uh, but you'll find that we have resources that anyone really would probably find, if not directly useful for their research or what have you, just really interesting, a fun way to spend an hour or two coming out with me also so <laughs> that's worth it yeah, yeah exactly yeah uh, do you guys uh, at all work with any other parts of the library or um it's not so much that we work with other wings of special collection or of pious i mean we do special collections is sort of you know it's upstairs it's got its own staff they have their own really awesome original materials printed early printed books and such um what the vfl does is essentially work with other entities and institutions outside of SLU in a way that I think it sort of goes unnoticed or undernoticed maybe. Um, the Broken Books Project is one initiative that they've got going on um, sort of as a, I don't know, maybe a little sub-sector of a larger Broken Books Project, which is basically one, one woman, Dr. Deborah Cashin, is her sort of aim at reassembling digitally a manuscript that was basically deconstructed, uh, mostly in the 20th century, for pretty nefarious purposes. Usually these manuscripts, they're broken up, they're sold, and they're just dispersed as fragments. So what she's trying to do is rebuild them, or rebuild one right now, digitally through the uh, Center for Digital Humanities, which I think we just established was renamed, I forgot, the Ong Center for Digital Humanities. So she's sort of trying to find, all over the world, pieces of this manuscript which in this case is a 15th century Italian breviary. It's basically like the Rolls Royce of manuscripts. I mean, it's kind of attending to crimes against book history, as it were. And this is where I will get to show you this new word that I've discovered oh, yes. uh, through working in the VFL, which is biblioclasm. Can you guess what biblioclasm means? Or if you are a biblioclast. Oh, oh, yeah. okay, that makes it easier. Though. Right, so basically it's just the destruction of books. It's as sad as it sounds. Um, but so the Broken Books Project is trying to undo efforts of biblioclasm. And the other sort of big thing, I suppose, would be just the, the journal that we've got, Manuscripta, which has been around, I believe, for about 40, 50 years, maybe not 50, 30 or 40 years, um, as well as the Conference on Manuscript Studies, where we bring in scholars and graduate students from all over the world, really. This used to be its own conference. Now it's part of the Symposium on Medieval and Renaissance Studies. But through the journal and the conference, and um, there's also a sort of quarterly newsletter we put out, we're sort of trying to build a community of scholars working in manuscript studies, broadly speaking. Um, I mean, you do tend to get medieval and Renaissance sort of focused people, but uh, but we're trying to sort of keep up a network, I guess, in that field pretty successfully, I would say. Sounds like it, yeah. So did you tell me a little bit more about the staff working? Yeah, so we have a really excellent set of people um, working both sort of in the VFL and also um, on the Metascript project. Uh, Dr. Gregory Pass is the director of the Vatican Film Library. He's also the assistant 
dean for special collections and the editor of the Manuscripta Journal, his editorial assistant for Manuscripta, um, and then also the library associate for special collections administration um, is Erica Loriello, who is great. She's sort of the first face you see when you walk into the VFL, and she will be of immense help no matter what your sort of goal is. She'll be able to help you with whatever you need uh, assistance with. And then we also have Dr. Deborah Cashin, who I mentioned previously, who is uh, the assistant librarian of the Vatican Film Library and also a digital humanities librarian, and she's sort of the one behind all of these DH efforts. And her office is actually up on the second floor, sort of as you're realizing where the Lewis Annex is, there's a door near the <laughs> elevator where she is. And she loves visitors too. And so anytime you wanted to pop in and see all, any of our staff, they'd be happy to show you around and give you a, probably a much more thorough <laughs> overview of what I've been trying to talk about. Yeah, and then my job is actually sort of a rotating assistantship that moves between the English department, I believe the theology department, and maybe the history. I'm going to get that wrong, so anyway. But it's um, it's a research assistantship that's through the Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies at SLU, which is it's a very cool opportunity, basically, if you work in um, medieval, early modern Renaissance studies um, as your specialty. Uh, and I've definitely... I feel like I've learned more in the last, you know, eight months than I have in, in years as far as paleography and codicology and all these sorts of fun things. So I get to be able to, like, I can just grab a random manuscript now and be like, read this. If it's in Latin, I could probably read it to you. I'd be better at saying exactly where it was produced as far as if it was French or Italian or Germanic. Um, and then the I could give you a good estimate as to when it was when it was likely written. Well, that's a thrilling party trick. It's really a good party trick. My parents were super impressed. They were like, yes, we are glad you are a graduate student. <laughs> <laughs> All the dreams. I know. Was, yeah. It was so good. proud of you. <laughs> uh, so do you have any, like, interesting stories and, like, moments of things that have happened while working there or discoveries? Um, so the fun thing about this part of the library is that, you know, we've just got this new academic technology commons. We've got a 3D printer. We've all these cool um, pieces of technology that are very much 21st century objects, I guess. But we also have microfilm readers, which are very much not, <laughs> and which took me a little bit of time to feel comfortable using, only because you're dealing with things that are actually fragile. I mean, manu manuscripts, microfilms have sort of broken as I'm looking at them on the reader, um, which really is, is fine. I discovered oh. you just tape them back together. Oh. I mean, I don't. I would. Oh. I don't think I could really feel comfortable doing that. Someone else tapes them back together, and it's fine. But microfilms are exactly what they sound like. You sort of have, um, you know, tiny images of what you're looking at on pretty flimsy film, which is also, again, from the 50s. So it's, it's an interesting way to imagine yourself doing research in a library that's sort of moving forward as far as its technology is concerned. So I do have moments where I like, you know, shriek a little bit when I break a microfilm or, you know, I guess really I'm trying to imagine something else that's funny. Well, it's, it's in a very lovely spot of the library, right? So you're sort of in this nice place where there are big windows and you get to see all of Lindell. So I can keep you updated on the weather really well because it's just right there, but also just people watching. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I completely with the micro microfilm situation, I remember moments in my master's. I'm having like flashbacks, these horrible... <laughs> encounters with microfilms um yes do you have is there anything like interesting too about working with i mean we you talked about working with the microfilm itself like as a material right. but i'm just it's intriguing to me uh the concept of have we have this library i mean there are other things in the bfl too i know yes. but 
this library of films of manuscripts. Right. And Yeah, it's a weird concept. <laughs> it is. But I mean, I just I, is there anything interesting about thinking through that kind of removal? Um, so one thing that's actually interesting is when you look at um, the microfilms that we have versus the actual digitized manuscripts that the Vatican Library, you know, in the Vatican City um, has been producing. They're sort of slowly but surely digitizing their manuscripts, which is kind of a redundant process given it's exactly what we're doing and theirs are in color. But also they're still not tagging these uh, digitized manuscripts with the metadata that we are, which is sort of weird. I guess you pick and choose what you want to do when you have working in the Vatican. But um, but if you're looking at the uh, microfilms, they're basically just black and white on a screen. So, you know, if you have a very large monitor, which you will if you're working in the VFL itself, um, I think we have four, four or five, I guess mine's the fifth one, microfilm readers that each are, you know, with a large monitor screen. So you're looking at sometimes a much larger version of what this manuscript is. Some of the manuscripts we have are very small, maybe, you know, six to eight inches. And so what we get is a very big magnified version of it, but it's not the same thing. You're not looking at the actual manuscript. You can't feel it. You can't really sort of look at the leaves and sort of compare them maybe to others to try to figure out how old it is. I mean, there's lots of things that, you know, become sort of the cons of microfilm or studying microfilms. But ultimately what we have is this kind of really, really unused resource, like wealth of, or wealth of resources rather, which, you know, again, a lot of it's not going to apply to everyone's studies directly, but if you study rhetoric, if you study sort of the history of, of the Jesuits themselves, um, if you study anything medieval or Renaissance, then we've got something in there that's going to be useful or, again, just cool to look at. And the facsimiles themselves, I mean, if you've, everyone's heard of the Book of Kells, right? It's sort of one of those. It's a movie. Yeah, I mean, it's big and fancy and beautiful, and we've got, you know, a life-size life size facsimile of it, um, which is very expensive. Some of the, I will say, this, if it's facsimile doesn't sound cool, some of them are upwards of $10,000. So they're very nice <laughs> materials that shouldn't go overlooked as far as uh, useful, valuable text that you can work with. Do you think that the VFL ever, will ever have access to those colored... I mean, those are accessible just online. Oh, okay. uh, you can go to the Vatican. I mean, they're hard to access unless you're sort of browsing. So if you, if you go to the Vatican Library's homepage, then you can look at their kind of like, you know, this is our best of. Um, some of which are amazing. You got a lot of really, really beautiful and illuminated manuscripts that, again, are sort of better in color, um, but you, which you couldn't find even on their website unless you knew exactly what you were looking for as far as the shelf mark goes, which no one ever does. I can almost guarantee you that no one will know what the shelf mark is if they're, unless they found it in a book or reference material or something. So those are, those are up there. They're kind of hit or miss as far as what's up there. They're going slowly. It's a slow process um, when you're digitizing the actual manuscripts like they are when you're doing what we are doing, which is just digitizing microfilms which is sort of a lovely idea, just the collision of so many technologies at once. But but we move quickly. You know, we're already sort of setting up the kind of foundational part of the website, which is just going to be the first 300 manuscripts that we've been working on, working on cataloging, that is, and digitizing. But um, so what we're doing is kind of like the more easily accessible version of what's there and trying to make their materials easier for other people to use. So once you've looked on our website, when it is up and running, um, and you've found sort of what you wanted to look at, you can go check the Vatican Library's website, see if you've got the color version there. Um, but you'll at least have some information about it that will get you, or will get you moving <laughs> more closely to that manuscript than you would have been otherwise. But yeah, I like to think that the VFL is just sort of bridging all sorts of, I don't know, I don't hate to say like 
periods of technology, but kind of. When you have microfilms from the 50s working toward a digitization project that's very much a, you know, a 21st century initiative, it's pretty cool just how much history you're kind of looking at and holding kind of literally in your hands every day. So, and it's just something that I think is so, it's just so right there. Everyone just should just come see it one day, just, you know, for an afternoon if you've got some free time, which I know as grad students, we have just a surplus of all the time. But, but I'll be there over the summer for anyone who's around and wants to just come do work there. I would say that as well. It's a really quiet uh, space with big tables. So if you just need a new place to do work one afternoon or do your grading, we love visitors, you know, and, and plus it just gives you an opportunity to come see the various types of things that you would, you've been walking around and near for years, but keep missing, I guess. I was thinking too, while you were talking about the, well, you said, so yeah, you said that we have these, um, Film microfilms from the 50s and we're bringing them to the digital, like moving them to a digital medium too. And I was thinking how interesting it is too because we talked about facsimiles too as, you know, less exciting because they don't have that aura, right, right. of being the original. But um, I think that there's also something really interesting about being able to see something in that preprint, quote unquote, preprint. Right. <laughs> form. But I mean to actually see like the, the layout of the page and the exactly. other elements that go into producing a book. We think of a book now so much as the information that like the words that are on a page. Right. But... And I mean the facsimiles themselves, they they don't always. Some of them are just black and white pages that you would maybe get, you know, if you were trying to look at what the microfilm looks like. Um, we all we have facsimiles often of things that we do not have on microfilm. So lots of Middle English manuscripts, I'll say, is you know someone who is sort of focused on Middle English <laughs> manuscripts, but we'll we'll end up with facsimiles of things that we don't have available um, through another medium. But but the facsimiles that we have that are the re- really sort of nice, the nice and very very valuable ones, they reproduce everything down to holes in the leaves, they do all the illumination and colors are sort of exactly as they would be. Well, some of them are a little bit richer than they would probably appear. I mean, what we have is, you know, one thing we have at least is a, it's about six or $700. It's a facsimile of the Cotton Nero A10 manuscript in the British Library, which is no longer actually accessible at all. Like if you go to the British Library, you cannot look at it because it's just deteriorating and now is at the point where if you touch it, it's probably going to like fall apart in places which is very sad, (laughs) Um, but it's also from the late 14th century, so it's kind of to be expected. So these facsimiles are doing their own type of preservation, conservation work that is really, truly invaluable for people like me who kind of only are looking at things that are now falling apart. I mean, the Pearl, that's, we call it the Pearl Manuscript. Some people, I guess, call it the Gowan Manuscript. But but that particular manuscript is one that um, it's literally the only one in existence of four different texts. So if you want to look at those texts in their original, you can't. So we have facsimiles of them, uh, like what we've got at the VFL. That one was a sort of weird um, anomaly as well, and that I think only there were less than a thousand facsimiles produced. So it's one of those sort of extra special versions of probably one of the most exceptional medieval manuscripts out there. And then, yeah, we have like, you know, the the Joshua roll, an actual roll form. It rolls probably the whole length of the VFL. We did it one day. It's very, it's very <laughs> long. Wondering. Yeah, it's very long. Um, and, you know, just all, like I said, the Book of Kells, there's sort of a whole array of psalters and breviaries and missiles and things like that. Um, 
There's also a great number of uh, liturgical materials. If you study music, um, we have a whole number of things that would be just fun to look at. Reference mm -hmm. materials and also facsimiles and things. I remember that giant, um, the visit that we went to with Holly's yeah, last. Giant yeah. music, like Spanish. Yeah, right? oh, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's Spanish and it's enormous. Like, I mean, you can't even lift it if you're one person. Well, maybe someone could lift it. It's huge Strong and heavy. People. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, you know, one of those examples of... And antiphonal basically is for choirs. It's huge and has sheet music, what we would call sheet music, but not really. It's got like, I don't know, three three bars, mm -hmm. you know, more music than I do. Yeah. <laughs> per leaf, um, mostly so that choirs of, you know, maybe, oh, I don't know how many people, but could Enough. see it. Yeah, <laughs> huge numbers of people could see what they were supposed to sing. And that thing just didn't move. I think when it hit, you know, when it hit the church, it just stayed on its stand. Yeah, we also have the teeniest little tiny tiny. Um, I think it's I think it's a breviary. I could be wrong. It might be. Oh, it's a book of hours. I think it's a French book of hours, and it's so small. I mean, again, it's sort of like if you're into the type of Ripley's Believe It or Not sort of thing, you should come by and just look at some of the stuff we've got that's just fun and that, like, how can someone write that small? I don't know. I couldn't. Like, this was someone's life. They just sat there and wrote tiny letters. I think for, just yeah. You know. If you're teaching anything about whether it's book history or the history of different media, too, because just thinking through, like, why exactly. would you need something this big or this small? And I know I also love the two, there are two vellum swaths. Oh, yeah. What this, are they named? Yeah. Oh, gosh. One of them's name is Molly, which I always want to call Dolly because of the other sheep thing, right? right. The clone sheep. It's not like Dolly. Um, and actually, I don't remember. The, maybe it's Charles. That's, I, I think remember it's the a male name. Yeah. yeah. It's a, we have a boy and a girl. Um, <laughs> Molly and... We'll say Charles. Yeah. We're going to go with Charles. And they even still have, like, the hair on them, right? Yeah, you can feel, actually, the sort of little bristles on one of them, and you can sort of see um, the spots that would have been on this particular little animal. But it's very cool. It's just very cool that we have all these things. It, I mean, I, I say they literally sit there, but they really do literally sit there until someone comes in. We have, you know, professors from various departments come in and do tutorials, primarily art history, history, you know, we had our uh, manuscript studies class from the English department, but but it really, I mean, beyond that, if you're studying rhetoric, like we have just a huge, huge, huge number of manuscripts, even the ones we have microfilmed from, you know, sort of your uh, early, early theologians and um, scholars, you know, Thomas Aquinas, people like that, sort of before, before my time, or before the time I'm interested in, but that uh, if you want to look at, you know, autographs, of Thomas Aquinas, for instance, which are illegible, you can come look at one on microfilm. Yeah, you should all want to do that. <laughs> so, I mean, um, we're about out of time, but is there anything else that you wanted to tell the listeners? Oh my goodness, I feel like I've covered everything I hope to get out. Really, I suppose, you know, a lot of us, the grad students teach. Even if you think that this is not going to be a particular wing of, of pious that's going to be useful for you, give the website a look. I mean, it's got just sort of many different subsections that you'll probably find either interesting or useful. Particularly, we have our, I call them lib guides. Other people call them lib guides. I don't say know. Lib. You yeah. say, I think I might be the only one, actually, that says lib. So I'll just say lib guides. <laughs> the libguides.slu.edu slash VFL page is one that I would highly recommend if you just want sort of an introduction to the VFL and what the resources that we've got available are, the different projects I've mentioned, the journal, the conference. I mean, again, we're sort of everywhere if you just want to look for us. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. If you'd like to get involved in this podcast series, share an assignment, tool, or even to pitch an interview, please contact me, 
Byron Gilman Hernandez at byron.gilmanhernandez at slu.edu. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina.